Hi, I'm Brad Bird. I'm writer and director of Incredibles 2. And we thought we'd do something different this time because Lord knows we have plenty of director commentaries. And frankly, you've heard enough. <laughs> you need to hear from animators. These are the men and women that bring these characters to life. So without further ado, a commentary by Incredibles 2 animators. Thank you, Brad. We love you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dave Mullins. I am an animation supervisor on Incredibles 2. I'm Alan Barilero. I'm also an animation supervisor, uh, so ditto. And I'm the third one, Tony Fuccilli. I'm Brett Parker, and I am the animation second unit and crowd supervisor. Animation supervisors are responsible for the performance of the characters. Every frame we are posing the characters, we're doing their expressions, and we're trying to get the audience to connect to these characters through their performance. The second unit is a smaller team that helps build the world with the background characters. So we're here with Tony Reidinger, picking up right where we left off from the old film, and we're excited to get into it. I'm excited to see a stadium full of people. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first film joke where you yeah. could not get a stadium full of people. <laughs> this part of the film is kind of interesting, having to revisit something we did 14 years ago. and We all worked on the first film, so it was amazing to be able to come back. It's like a reunion. <laughs> we don't look any older. That's what's amazing. No. All the animation you saw in the beginning there really was new animation. That wasn't actually stuff that we reused from the initial film. And we would do the better version, the version that we really wanted to do of the characters as far as the way they looked. Yeah, and Tony Reidinger is a much improved version in this film because we had more time to give him some love and, and it shows. The neat thing is about doing a sequel is we can take a second shot at stuff. You know, one of my biggest pet peeves on the first film was the masks because we didn't actually have the masks in the first film. That happened after we animated the shots, then we would see the masks. And so you would animate the brows, the brows would look good, and you get the mask in and you'd be like, my God, what is this abomination? We were able to fix that on this film and it makes me so happy. <laughs> but there's something familiar about one of the kids' voices. The girl, she's upset and she throws down her mask and, and it's her. Oh, Tony, hi. What you think it is. getting too freaky. I, I well, folks that worked on the original had a laundry list of <laughs> things yeah. we wanted to fix. and Telephone cords, I remember, <laughs> were a big thing. I spent, like, weeks animating a telephone cord. You know what's so much fun about watching this is we haven't actually seen so many of these scenes final lit and fully rendered. and It's a little bit like watching your life flash before you really quickly. There's all these moments and memories uh, in animation it takes so long to create these things at least uh, like a year of your yeah. life <laughs> yeah. Exactly. watching a yeah. year of your life go by in like two hours we're going to talk about animation dailies a lot animation dailies is where we go every morning to review our work animation dailies has typically been just animators showing to the director it's very much actors getting together and playing out a scene on this film, it's been different in that every department, they're all in animation dailies. There's the effects department that do all the special effects. There's a characters department that creates the models that we animate. There's a lighting department that lights the film. There's the layout department that does the cameras. And then dailies became a bigger thing. There were edits being made. Dialogue was being rewritten. We were changing shots. We were combining shots. Every department was kind of kicking in. And it wasn't just animation dailies. I feel like it was just our dailies, and that's where we made the film. 
It's cool to see Underminer here. Another character that we're kind of revisiting, which was just this one-off character in two shots, and then we had to kind of go back in and like figure out what he actually looks like in, in this film. He was kind of a last-minute addition in the first film, so yeah. he was put together pretty quickly, so it was nice to get a, another shot at him. Now he's on the agenda! This was a fun sequence just in terms of trying to figure out the tunneler and the weight of the tunneler. Yeah. We realized in comparison, it was a machine that was like the size of our entire campus, <laughs> you know, and four stories high. And so how is this thing going to move through the streets in a believable way at a speed that would work? So that was a really interesting challenge to face for this sequence. It's a metaphor for, I think, the film. You're, you're in this intense action scenario of getting a movie done, and uh, it's like stopping the underminer vehicle from crashing. Yeah, this sequence is interesting because early on, we wanted to get into this as soon as possible to really put all the departments through the ringer. We had to move so quickly on this film. We were really all doing the work at the same time. Basically, animation, lighting, crowds, effects, everybody was working on top of one another, including characters and sets. And this was a great way to sort of test how we were going to get through this entire film in record time. Some great Elastigirl animation here. Yeah. And it shows Brad's attention to weight. It's not just whipping around. You want to worry for them. And that means their weight's there and there's, and there's dangerous situations where they can get hurt. I like this one coming up right now which was a really fun moment, I think, for the animators to work with the new version of the effects with Frozone, what that was going to look like and how that changed from the first film. We really started putting the animators to the test on like what they could do with weight here. And we see Bob starts trying to move this gigantic machine. He's just pushing it, moves it just a little bit. Yeah, and it was also a challenge getting the physics of smashing all the cars right and getting them flinging and flying through the air. We had some stuff where it was just animated too quickly. Bill Latrell out of effects was actually really good about like, hey, this is moving kind of fast. I know it looks cool on screen. So we kind of slowed it down and have them flying through the air in a way that's more believable. Dave animated a lot of Elastigirl in the first film, so if you're a new animator on Incredibles 2, you usually had a visit from Dave and a lot of elastic bands being shot at you. I just am so happy with the way the animation turned out on her. There's a lot of new shape language with her as far as the way she throws her arms and, and things like that. I feel like it wasn't just the stuff that we did in the first film. It's kind of a continuation of that, and she has new abilities. They all kind of live in the world that we set up in the first film, but they go beyond that in a way which was really kind of fun and interesting to figure out. Even though these are supers, we worked really hard to kind of get the audience to feel for these characters and know there is imminent danger. Brad talks a lot about how, you know, if they can just be clocked in the face with a sledgehammer and they just you know, laugh it off, how you're never going to really worry about the, the characters. Yeah, they look like they're, they're having actual pain. That's a good thing. A little bit of damage. It's headed for City Hall! So in CG, interacting with objects takes a little bit of extra love because there's no touch. I mean, you can have the hand go through the roof of the car. You can have Bob's feet go through the tunneler. You can have Frozone go through the ice here. There's nothing physical about that. We actually have to place that by hand. And it is really hard to get those things to feel like they're physically touching one another. It's a big deal. I remember when I first got to Pixar years ago, contact was sort of like, oh, let's 
take it easy on the contact, but that's sort of an instinct that animators have is to touch, uh, to not have that is a challenge. And then when you have two characters and they touch each other and they hug, they're deforming and they're moving and there's hair and everything else and there's cloth. There's a lot of work that goes in to make it feel like these two characters are physically hugging and physically touching each other. And just like the way they're touching one another here, the more that you believe in the moment that they're actually touching one another, that makes it real. And interacting with objects yeah. and just makes you feel like you're in the world. Grounding the performance. There's a lot of work that goes into the things that we just sort of take for granted in our in our day-to-day -day life. There's math involved. So for kids that want to be artists and don't think math has to do with animation, you got to learn math. It's a real thing. <laughs> Technically, on the first film, that's why we avoided contact at all costs. But we've made some advances. Yeah. And now we can jump in. Yeah. Perhaps you'd be interested in changing that law? Superheroes, including Frozone, Mr. Incredible, and Elastigirl, cause further damage to the city. And this scene is called Chewed Out. It was pretty interesting because we had it in the film and then it was kind of out and then half of it came back. There was a whole sequence at the end. The other cop was chewing out the kids in the other room. We just found that it like sort of slowed down the film too much. You know, that is part of the process of animation. Sometimes you're actually in animating a sequence and then, you know, that gets cut and hopefully on the DVD. And yes, Chewed Out is going to be on the DVD. So check it out. You weren't much help. You want out of the hole? First, you gotta put down the shovel. Now, this is great in here. The attention to detail that's being put into the truck and how, while they're going along the street, there's just those little bumps and things. It's that thing that Brad talks about, how it creates a believable moment in the film. And the more believable moments you have in the film, the more you invest in the characters, the more you care about the story. Yeah, those little details, they accumulate kind of the unconscious result is this is a real world this feels like a believable place that we're worried about these characters oh hey rick violet thinks a friend of hers a kid named tony might have seen her in the outfit without her mask talkative time don't know Last name is Ryan. Well, this scene is really a tribute to Bud Lucky because he did the voice of Dicker in the original Incredibles, and it was one of our great sadnesses that he wasn't able to do the voice again for Dicker in the second film. Uh, so Bud Lucky also directed uh, Bounding, and he did a lot of the uh, Sesame Street shorts uh, that we all kind of grew up with, and, and he's just a lovely, he was just a lovely, lovely person and an amazing creator, and and a story artist here for yeah. years. Yeah. So this scene is all for you, bud. You've done plenty, Rick. We won't forget. Well, it has been a great honor working with you good people. Thanks for everything. And good luck. Yeah, you too. The scene's great. This is the first scene that we animated where all the characters were together. We figured out a lot of things in this scene. We've seen Violet before, we've seen Dash, we've seen Jack-Jack, we've seen all these characters, but as we were animating the scene, there were a lot of things that we were rediscovering about the appeal of the characters. And I feel like this scene was where we put a, a stake in the ground and said, this is what the characters are gonna look like, this is what their appeal is gonna be. And the animators worked really hard to hit those notes that Brad was after and trying to hit the drawings that Tony was doing. There were several people on this, too, oh, yeah. so it was a challenging that way to keep the consistency. Nothing you're referring to today. Yeah, what's the deal with today? We all made mistakes. For example, you kids were supposed to watch Jack-Jack. 
babysitting. I love the job the animator did with Jack-Jack. It doesn't draw your eyes, but when you watch it through a second time, you notice all of the appealing gestures mm. and chewing on the broccoli. We had this thing where Bob was dropping the broccoli with his chopsticks. <laughs> We put in an animation. We dropped the broccoli like six times. He's like, now the scene's about dropping the broccoli. So then we backed it off and it wasn't enough. And, and then, then we had to add more back in. Yeah, it's something that just goes by in the background. And they were on the island. But I didn't mean that from now so on. So now we've can... got to go back to never using our power. It defines who I am. We're not saying you have. What? Someone on TV said it. Can, can we just eat the dinner while it's hot? This acting in these scenes is phenomenal, and it's what they're not doing that is so impressive. Um, the simplicity of some of these poses that are not simple to find, but the less is more kind of rule for the show. Brad was constantly asking us to strip back and get down to the root of the scene, which just shows what a great actor he is, as well as a director. Which is exactly what we have. When you're working with Brad, it's happening quickly, and there's a little bit of improvisational type workflow. You're not overthinking moments with Brad. He's great that way. He's an, an actor's director, and you go with your gut, and you don't belabor the moment. The world is what it is. We have to adapt. Are things bad? Things are fine. May I be excused? The giant iguana kaiju character on the TV back there, that model's actually Jonesy, the iguana from Toy Story of Terror. He turned her into a giant kaiju. Oh, this scene's great. Yeah, what it takes to play a scene like this, if you think of it just from a pure acting standpoint. You know, Helen and Bob have both lost everything, and they're, and they're having this private discussion by the pool. And it's a great example for the film school students of lighting and what's happening here, where they're down in the blue, and how, how we're shooting this around the pool. The acting being contained, it's so easy to move around. One thing about Brad is you can't impress him. He's one of those directors that is so skilled as an animator. You want to pull all, all these tricks to maybe overwork a scene, and you quickly have to put that aside and, and just try to dig for the main idea of each scene. It's just us. We can't wait for... It's a great example, too, of maintaining almost a single pose and then acting within it. So you're not moving all over the place, like you said, but even, you know, keeping very contained within almost a single pose. You missed all the fun. Don't be mad because I know when to leave a party. I'm just as illegal as you guys. Besides, I knew the cops would let you go. Yeah, in spite of Bob's best efforts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though this looks very simple and it plays really well, there was so much talk about the camera in this scene. And so the animators are animating to camera. We put a performance up and then Brad would start moving around the performance. You know, the news isn't all bad. While you guys were being... And the animators were so good at adjusting to these new cameras. Well, he's grabbing all these awesome performances, like all the business cards passing back and forth. That's the animator just coming up with these great ideas. I checked him out. He's legit. Trained under Dicker. He wants to meet. Oh, By the end of this, it looks simple and clean, but the way we went through it was not simple and clean. <laughs> in all honesty, it was kind of a kind of a mess. And then you see it in the end. It's like, oh, it works just fine. Let's just at least hear what he has to say. You got the address? I'll meet you guys there. Go in our super suits. Yeah. Might want to wear the old super suits. Got a feeling he's nostalgic. The fact that Dash is just absorbed in the TV and not paying attention, again, that's this 
attention to detail in the acting and Brad really leaning on everybody to bring something personal to it so that, you know, we've all been siblings, our parents or vice versa. You, you got to bring your own life experiences in. Your security badges. Please, th this way. Hey, listen, you're my biggest fan. Good uh, to see you. I'm, I'm your biggest Little fun fact here, this is Usher, the recording artist. <laughs> it's a really funny moment. So in animation, we record the voice actors first, and then we animate to that. Um, we do that probably about 95% of the time. Sometimes we ADR, but it's, it's rare. And ADR is when the voice actor is watching the scene that has been animated and then is going in reverse and trying to match that. There was times where we'd be actually <laughs> animating to Brad's voice uh, yeah. in the middle of writing and changing a line. That he'd be like, I'll give you the line and just get going and I'll, I'll, I'll rush over and, and fly God knows where to get the line. It shows you how much of the films in Brad's head. Bob Odenkirk was the voice actor for Dever, and he did a fantastic job. There's that musical quality that makes it really fun to animate, too. In this scene, jeez, this was a killer. For more than just one department. Yeah. That was like a whole new level yeah. for simulation and yeah, animation. Yeah, it goes by so quick. There's so I much know. work put into that. Months. And the introduction of a new character is always tough. Superheroes, I'm so sorry. Is my tardy sister Evelyn. And I am, I'm We're so trying to figure out how to introduce Evelyn. I mean, by now, hopefully you've seen the movie and you know she's the villain. But if you play that too early, you're just going to be telegraphing it and you're going to know what's coming. But at the same time, we have to play her in a way that you're building this character that has all these flaws that are building up to her being a villain in the film. The animators, I think, did a really good job of just layering this in very lightly in the beginning and more and more of her personality kind of comes through. And if you rewatch the film, I think you quickly start to see what Evelyn's all about. Hopefully you don't pick that up the first time through. Father believed the world would be more dangerous without you. And hopefully you've seen the movie already. <laughs> yeah, a lot of spoilers to this. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert. My father called Gazer Beam. The direct line. No answer. He called Phyronic. No answer. Superheroes had just been made illegal. The robbers discovered him on the phone and shot him. This was a really complicated scene. When the animator is animating, you're not actually seeing the reflection. So, you know, you're not actually working with the end result. Yeah. A lot of back and forth there underground it never would have happened or dad could have taken mom to the safe room as soon as he knew there was trouble i disagree strongly but we're not going into it right now it's fun to see the contrast between the brother and sister evelyn being almost akimbo all of her mm -hmm. body being a little more looser than his his being a little more rigid and well he's very showman like he's very presentational she like kind of hangs back in, in the shadows and for animators that's performance gold to have these characters that are very well defined things right hence this meeting brad's writing really supports that and then the vocal performances he's getting out of the actors really makes for very unique characters odenkirk's performance is so great you really see his personality come through and to take a great vocal performance and then make the performance on top of it look like this is just incredible i didn't see it neither did anyone else 
So, when you fight bad guys like today, people don't see the fight or what led up to it. In this scene, Winston Dever is really the focus of the scene. Brad was trying to take the emphasis off Evelyn early on in the film because she's going to be the villain and you don't want to tip the hat too early. And so she's meant to kind of fade into the background. She's the person that's behind everything that's going on. And it's even reflected in her costume. When we see her in this sequence, her costume is very drab. It's like earth tones. It's like tans. And I think supporting that in this scene, too, is even that little look that's shared between Helen and Evelyn. And it's their first meeting and that little aside moment. And I love how it's not a big deal, but it's just this acknowledgement of respect between two women. It's a really interesting moment, but also set up to kind of help throw you off. Yeah, it's like you get a sense early on that, oh, these guys are going to be friends. Golden, hold on to it. But for our first move, well, Elastigirl is our best play. Better than me? I love how each character is very much themselves and emphasized as Bob's reaction versus Frozone and Helen's. There's a great contrast uh, in in watching them play off each other. (laughs) Looking at uh, Dever's tongue here and just this dialogue in the shot, how specific Brad is about tongues. Like, we had the thing with the lemon mouth, which was this thing that Brad and Tony hates. It's basically when you have a mouth that looks perfectly symmetrical, it looks like a football shape. And anytime you get that in a shot, he would be honest about, you gotta fix the lemon mouth, you gotta fix the lemon mouth. And so we put a lot of controls in the mouth to make it look asymmetrical and so that we can pose it in a way that looked more like a drawing. And if you ever see a completely symmetrical mouth, we messed up. <laughs> we apologize. We apologize. <laughs> What do you mean you don't know? A few hours This scene ago. here is great. It talk about making it personal. This is a husband and wife couple animating it, Dave and Jessica Torres. That's a perfect example of how Brad Bird directs. There's just an honesty that comes across when you're actually connecting to the material. From jail, Bob! And how do you do that? By turning down a chance to change the law that forces them to hide what they are? They haven't decided what they are. They're still kids. Well, it's funny. This scene was our top requested scene by the animators who wanted to animate in this scene. Because really, this is where the whole conflict between Helen and Bob is laid out for the film. And you see what the film's really about in this scene. And the animators are all naturally attracted to this because this is really the juice of the film. Yeah, and there'd be a lot of conversation amongst all of us of how a couple would handle themselves in this situation. You when know Bob you was coming off as somebody who was like being just such a jerk to Helen in the scene and we had to rework and rework the animation until you see he was more frustrated with himself than he was with Helen. The whole thing's frustrating for him, but he was really mostly frustrated about himself. And I would do a great job, regardless of what Dever's pie charts say or what Dever, but they want you. And you'll do a great job. That was excruciating to watch. This was a very delicate line to animate uh, and to and to find this line between the two of them so they're both appealing. And writing-wise, too. I mean, Brad was doing a lot of tweakage. Yeah. And we had many versions of this. Yeah. Trying right. to find that balance of him being annoyed and competitive but not being, <laughs> like, such a jerk. Yeah, this scene went into production like three times, I think, in animation. It was the first scene in production, and then, yeah. uh, which as actors, it was not the kind of scene you want to start with because you want to warm up to a scene like that. So Brad, after I think our first dailies grabbed Tony and I, Dave was not yet during the film because he was making that short film called Lou. And um, <laughs> he was wondering if maybe we should pause for a moment and warm up to it. Yeah. 
it shows you that we are looking to get into character and hopefully not have the audiences be aware of where you're warming up and save your juice for the big scenes. Mr. Dever, it's wonderful, but it's too generous. Nonsense. That's the least we can do. We're partners now. Can't have my partners living in a motel. House? Is it a house? It's my house. This scene's interesting where you introduce this house, and this house is kind of a character in and of itself. I mean, it's got all these water features and everything else. The set is amazing. Kind of represents all this fanciness that's in their lives is also a problem for them. Come and go without being seen, so the house has multiple hidden exits. Good thing we won't stand out. We don't want to attract any unnecessary attention. This really is kind of the opposite of them. Isn't this a bit much? They're more simple, I feel like, and this this house is just insane. Yeah, Brad would say it's the house they think they want. Yeah. And they find out it doesn't work for them. The important thing is we're out of the motel. I like Mom's new job! <gasps> Brad had been in New York, or, or was it Ralph Eggleston? Ralph Eggleston was our production designer. They were in New York, and there was this bachelor pad, and it was made specifically for this guy who had people coming in and out of his house a lot. And basically, it was a great house for a bachelor. It's a terrible house if you actually had a family. Brad and Ralph really wanted to push this idea that they would have to fight this house. Every step of the way, there'd be so much comedy out of that. And when you finally get into house attack, that the house then becomes a character that's actually working against them. Dash pretty quickly exemplifies why it doesn't work for any <laughs> family with children. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not all dark and angsty. I'm a lasta girl. I'm, you know, flexible. Uh, Helen's new suit. I love the acting in this scene because it just exemplifies Helen's total frustration or like feeling so awkward in her new suit. So this scene coming up, we turned to all the motorcycle riding animators and relied heavily on them for this. Absolutely. Right from art and design. You last cycle. I didn't know you had a bike. Hey, I had a mohawk. There's a lot about me you don't know. Yeah. Look at Helen's proportions, and that'll give you an example right off the bat how you're going to design a motorcycle that looks comfortable for her. You know, the size of the head, relationship from hips to really long legs. It's built for her, so it means immediately when you're coming up with motorcycle designs, you have to be constantly comparing it to her, just as, you know, step one. I will be great, and you will too. We will both be great. Bye, sweetie. If you look at what she's doing with the bike, the way she's dealing with the throttle, the way she's shifters and everything, this is all real. This is like, if this bike existed, this is how it would be driven. And the animators were amazing about putting in that level of detail. Again, making that believability. With that believability, you care about the characters. Yeah, great little details. Kureha Yoku, an animator here, had a huge part in both the pre-production of setting up the motorcycle, and then later both she and John Walker, who is one of our producers, are both pilots. And so it was really fun to have their expertise and really teaching all of the animators how to dive into really animating a plane, both in this sequence and then later in the film when it gets really even more complicated. Big crime fighting statement. You go where the crime is big. Strange thing to be excited about, Winston. Well, it's like a superhero's playground. <gasps> no sugar bombs on my watch. 
Where's mom? She's up and out. Great specificity in this breakfast scene. Was this the first one we got into, the scene? It's one of, yeah. yeah. I'd say one of the first three. That, this is not probably the thing to talk about, but that fiber hose box kept moving around on us. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was like this weird, like there's a gremlin in the system, and I'm like, I just put that box back where it's supposed to be. Why is it floating? And there's all this great animation going on. We should be talking about that, but the box. Months of discussion on the chewing. Yeah. yeah. Brad would always talk about the attention to detail and the specificity of mouth shapes being important. He would talk about Milk Call quite often, you know, one of the most important nine old men of Disney animation and a mentor of his. He told this particular story with Friar Tuck scene. Friar Tuck is going to have a little sip of a spoon. The mouth shape was perfect. It looked gorgeous. But uh, Milk Call was just frustrated with it, saying there's a mistake here. If you really, really listen to the sound, he's not making a new shape. He's making a U shape, and he reanimated it. And that is kind of representative of what we're trying to do with Brad in every scene. There's great stuff that just has to be tossed away because it's not specifically right for that scene. I love also how Brad would point out that when you stop a live action scene on a single frame, often the actor's making a really exaggerated and maybe unappealing uh, expression on that one frame. But when you play it together as a whole, it plays beautifully. And you actually need that maybe ugly frame, in quotes, in order to get the end result. Yeah, there's a misconception you're looking for the perfect thing when a lot of the times we're looking for the imperfections. The acting choice to let the hair dryer blow her hair straight yeah. up. That was another fun, spontaneous moment. The hair actually kind of, has attitude. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, ah, and it blow, <laughs> just drops. Yeah, that little drag off the lip. Just the, the knowledge right in the scene of putting down Jack-Jack and knowing that's definitely a parent cradling the head and not just dropping the kid. <laughs> new math that it's so funny because we've been dealing with that in like the california <laughs> state school system with stars and everything else they changed math on us i saw this i'm like okay this is the movie for me <laughs> why would they change math math is math math is math that's exactly how i feel as a parent like they changed math math is math that's it yeah and i don't get new math just I don't to get be clear math. i don't at all yeah, we got the frustration we emotionally knew how to do yeah math. yeah there were a lot of us who understood that scene inside and out. All over Dusseldorf, Dussels are dozing. It's a great scene just for like, if you're looking at mouth shapes, what Bob's doing here, there's a lot of great design in his mouth and in his face. It's such a nice, simple, but really well conceived scene. Mayors often brag about their cities and <laughs> I'm no exception. So this sequence is Runaway Train, and it was really one of the first crowd-heavy sequences that we jumped into. When you guys are doing something that general audiences don't notice, which is you're constantly directing our eye, yeah. telling us where to look, where our focus should be, which sounds easy and it's not at all. Well, there was a lot of working with camera, too, to make sure that the crowds were supporting where you wanted your eye to go and not detracting from the hero moment of a performance. You kind of notice them, but you don't. Open for business.
One of the really fun things about this sequence was not only animating the huge crowds, but there's a lot of background story and detail that goes in that are little asides of people walking in the park. There's actually people playing tag on the fields in the background. <laughs> That's great. People riding bikes, jumping out of the way in the action sequence here, and really trying to fill the world in a realistic way, really responding to what's going on with Helen and the bike and the sirens. Oh, we're getting into the chase. Nice bump. That's a great detail from the animator. I think we always want to remind everybody is this stuff doesn't come for free. It doesn't exist. It's we're trying to throw these little moments of reality and the little choices someone would make in the moment. And you're doing that over the course of months for a single shot sometimes. Well, it's funny with these bike shots too, and this whole scene, there's so much happening so fast. The clarity is of supreme importance to be able to move through a scene like this, introduce this motorcycle that's magnetic and it's electric and it can separate and work with Helen. And there was a lot of discussion about how we do that and how we do that in a very clean and simple way. idea that the bike can separate and then she can pull it together really quickly to get a boost of momentum or to like pop her up through a window and, and land on the buildings. There's a lot of investment put in by the animators here to sort of figure out what the physics of this is and how believable it could be. Brad talked a lot about here where he didn't want this stuff to be clean like when she wobbles there on the girder. None of this was supposed to be clean. Everything's supposed to be a little dirty. She's supposed to overshoot a little bit and bam, hit the window. And that type of stuff, when she's out of control, when your hero is basically struggling just by the seat of their pants to make everything happen, that's when it feels real and that's when you relate to the character because we all relate to that struggle. And if it was just easy for the character, you don't get invested, you know? There's no struggle and there's no conflict. And this is a great example of Helen just on the edge of her seat trying to stop this train and she's doing everything in her power and almost always failing. It's like one failure after the next and she's just barely getting by and that's what makes it so exciting. There's a lot to be studied as far as the staging and the information Brad's given you. Small things like the train is still in frame for clarity but not belaboring it so that you know what the character's goal is. That shot where she's running back against the wind. Yeah. That was really tricky because it's a full run, but there's wind resistance and it feels great. The sense of wind and atmosphere in this film really tells you the speed. There's multiple scenes where we see this. We see it at the end of the film as well. One of the things we struggled with a lot was the speed on the film. Getting this train to feel fast enough, like we get it going about 150 miles an hour. It's like, that looks slow. 300 miles an hour, 400 miles an hour. And so we end up doing this movie speed on these big structures like the tunneler. It's the same case with the runaway train here. It's definitely the case that we'll talk about at the end of the film with the boat, the hydroliner. Brad loves the guy underneath the train where <laughs> that guy's so terrified. It's one of those great examples of trying to create a little story within the scene but without robbing the scene of the moment. We talk about that, that college story of when he was an actor. Yeah. Don't make it so interesting. Don't upstage the main actor. <laughs> you, have all, you know, your instincts are to do all this stuff and you got to support the scene.
Can we just say how tough it is to do walks and just admit that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially when they're walking right at camera, it is the worst. Trickiest stuff in animation. Maybe it's just a Pixar thing. I don't know. Like, especially on The Incredibles, having a character walk right at camera has just, like, it should not be this hard. Why is it this hard to make it look appealing? And their proportions are funky, so yeah. they're pushed. You have this guy with a massive upper body and these short legs. It's a challenge right there. It's dad. Are you okay? This is a great scene where Bob's really starting to feel that he's not doing the best job with his family, that this job's probably a lot harder than he thinks it's going to be. You want me to feel better? Then leave me alone. Please. Huh? You see him starting to get frustrated here, and this really kind of sets him up in the rest of the film. His arc is... Yeah, I got this, no problem, I'm Mr. Incredible. And then he realizes how just incredibly difficult all this is actually going to be. <laughs> this scene with the robbers, we redid this a bunch of times too. Brad really wanted to have what was going on on screen in the old movie and what was going on with the raccoon to really mirror one another. And it was surprisingly hard to do. This was one that Brad was right on from the beginning. We know we're taking a scene with a raccoon. That could be really cartoony and we could lose a lot of believability. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of discussion early on too, just about like, wait a minute. Okay, so the raccoons attacking the baby, those <laughs> things could tear a baby apart. And like trying to find that balance of Really, Jack-Jack needs to be kicking the crap out of this <laughs> raccoon, or otherwise it's like, that's a baby getting chewed up by a raccoon. It was it was a challenge. It was a challenge to make it look like Jack-Jack wasn't getting hurt in this. He had mentioned early on that we have to start with the scene and go backwards with Jack-Jack to know we can actually get here and feel that this is plausible. We've had a, quite a big baby boom here at Pixar, and everybody yeah. had their kids as a reference. So we're trying to ground this scene. It shows Brad's experience to know we have to start with a scene like this and kind of work our way backwards. <laughs> the scene where he's turned into goo. I don't know if, Tony, you can talk about the graphic nature of that and the process. The drawers, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was initially going to be an effect. I think they tried to do some sort of gelatin-type things. It was just a little bit too vivid and kind of realistic. It got kind of gross. We ended up doing that pretty much frame by frame. Belém Bushuba and Alonso Martinez together did a lot of that work where they would literally sculpt every frame of that. On top of Tim Pixton's animation. On top of Tim animation, Pixton's yeah. animation, yeah. That particular scene was a little mini-movie in itself, but yeah. it turned out great. So this is a great example of where we utilize a sketch tool to do drawovers on the goo baby directly on the computer over the scenes that we're animating. Traditionally, of course, that would all have happened on pen and paper, which we could use those sketches to do the sculpting work afterward that needed to be done. Yeah, it's a very direct way to, to make a note, like the lemon mouth, like trying to describe it. Everyone's like, what's that lemon mouth, you know? And you just draw it, you're like, okay, I get it. Well, that really kind of started on Inside Out, where you were the sketch artist on Inside Out. It's a great marriage of 3D, 2D. Like... And just constantly looking graphically at these characters and where we can push them. 
I always see people say, I'm surprised you were drawing at all. And they don't know how drawing so integral to everything we do. We all draw just to be able to talk to one another, really. Much easier than doing a commentary. Way easier. No accident. Stay there and finish your mission. And you never should, should we, what? You don't think I can do this? I'm sorry. I misspoke. Do you need me to come back? No, no, no. The scene here with Bob and Helen, to me, is really successful and interesting. To be specific, that's not uh, the same animator doing Bob and then cutting to Helen. That's, you know, someone's just focused solely on Helen and her arc and and, and another animator, in this case, a, f uh, a few, are doing Bob. All fine and good. And Jack-Jack went down with no trouble? Fine. Yes, no trouble. And Dash got his homework done? All done. So things haven't spiraled out of control the moment I left? Amazing as it may seem, it has been quite uneventful, in fact. We're all in this together, these animators. They're actors, so you're in a vulnerable position of always trying to express yourself every day. It too often, I think, is represented as something that comes to us easily, mm. and a lot of it is turmoil and a lot of leaning on each other. Every time I start a shot, I get into the blocking and go, oh my God, they're going to find out how much I suck. <laughs> this is going to be the one. And that never goes away for no. those that are never. starting. No, every time I show in dailies, I'm always nervous. This is the point where they find me out. Yeah, I, I don't know. know what I'm doing. I think everybody feels like that because, one, you're surrounded by so much talent here at Pixar, and two, you know, you're only as good as your last shot is the way you kind of feel a lot of times. First night, I am so proud of you. Really. I'm proud of you, honey. I know you want to get out there, and you will. There's some great physicality here with Helen. Just the way she's on the bed. You know, it's so easy just to make it feel stiff, but Michael McCarvich kind of put in the bounce on the bed, that her weight's on the bed. Every time she makes a movement, the pillows are moving, the, the bed's moving, and all that stuff, again, adds up to this great performance that makes the character feel real so that when she's running around and fighting screen slaver, you feel like she's really in danger because she feels like she's real and believable. Well, and just a shout out, like in this scene, to simulation, the interaction with the blanket, also another change from the first film where we couldn't interact with the cloth or the blankets at all. You weren't allowed to touch the hair. It was like a big deal, yeah. maybe one shot. And now we are able to work with simulation department and have that back and forth, and it just opens up a whole new world. So this entire section in Morning Math was done by the animator Jean-Claude Tren. He did this entirely first in 2D. Yeah, and that sketch tool, you can animate with drawings in your shot, which is pretty cool. A wonderful experience we're going to Brad that you can actually just show him some key drawings and flip through them and he'll know what your intent of the scene is and get your notes from there. Come on, buddy. Come on. I think I understand your math assignment. We still have some time to finish it before you test. So first you want to put all the numbers by themselves. Not means plus becomes a minus. You got it? Yeah, baby. There's so much in this scene with Tony and, and Violet. This is another one of those earlier scenes that we got into setting up their characters and trying to find Tony's appeal again, there was a lot of discussion about that. The way he was going to react to Violet, and Violet is being so incredibly vulnerable here. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> 
points for funny. A lot of times in animation, we want to soften our arcs so that things move beautifully and smooth. What I love about that, Violet doesn't have perfect arcs all the time, and it adds to the spontaneity of her searching for her feelings. We tried to start with a very full school that was filled with normal teenage activity and also constant couples. But as Violet is becoming more and more uncomfortable and then she's left alone and quietly emptying out to reinforce her sense of isolation. Chad Brentley, probably one of our favorite background characters or secondary characters on the film. Yeah, it's amazing how some of the secondary characters become your favorite characters yeah. to animate <laughs> because you have so much more freedom. There's yeah. no history. We don't yeah. know who they are. Yeah. He was a fun character, I think, for everyone to dive into. Stretch a leg. And then we get Isabella Rosalini here as the ambassador. You know, her voice performance is so effusive that you have to kind of overanimate her. Yeah. And I think the scene is just so awkward. Brad talked about this, the two people that are meeting each other that know each other from just being famous and they want to show each other respect and there's this like awkward moment between the two. Yeah, and she really brought it to life. Yeah. <laughs> For me, in any case, and boards it yeah. with scratch and yeah. never, and then Isabella Rossellini just brought it to life. And then we got Chad here again. He's hilarious. Dave Devan did one of the early scenes of him kind of defining his character as this kind of crazy, cheesy newscaster and he just felt like he just knocked it out of the park. Here, fresh on the heels of her own heroic save of a runaway train and sporting a new look is the superhero Elastigirl. Welcome. Hello, Chad. Well, all the polls are going in your direction. That's true. Things are good. Hello. But... And then you see the way that he goes totally stiff here. There's a lot of discussion about when we would actually show the light on his face, when he was actually being hypnotized, because Brad didn't want to break the joke too early that he is under some sort of hypnosis. So you want to see him acting weird. He wanted it to feel awkward at first. Well, and there was a dance there too, right? Because later in the film, we have people being fairly active under hypnosis. So there was this play of, well, okay, they're under hypnosis, but we don't want them to feel too stiff and zombie-like either. The ambassador's while it's still airborne. Right, the scene coming up is pretty amazing. This is the first one where we really kind of put Helen to her limits. A lot of the animators on this film had looked at the first film and said, well, Helen stretches like this. We kind of really had to challenge him to say, well, but we want her to move beyond that. There's a specificity to the way that she stretches, the way that her arms work. And if she's going to throw her arm, she literally has to throw it kind of like a baseball to get it going. thing that I kept hammering people on was she doesn't stretch unless she needs to. What you would see a lot of times on a scene like this is she would stretch with her arms to reach something, but then they were stretching out her body and her legs. And I would say, no, she only stretches what she needs to stretch because when she stretches, she actually becomes weaker. The longer her arm is, the less that she can actually have strength in it. When you see her stretching, there's a logic behind it. And I think the animators did a killer job on it. It makes sense and it's really aesthetically appealing. So this scene was really complicated because people might not realize we're not just addressing the characters, we're also addressing the helicopters. The choreography of the helicopters in a moving set was chaos to track. <laughs> 
how fast they were going, the physics of trying to make that believable, and also just continuity across the whole sequence was definitely a challenge. You get Brad coming back from live action films. I mean, before that, he's always grounded everything in the camera and, you know, how would this really be shot so that you feel like you're in the moment and not just in a CG universe? Are you all right, ma'am? I'm perfectly fine. When he pulls that waffle out of there, and, and it, you can tell it's hot because it's not him going, ouch, 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 but it's a subtle little a nod to how hot the waffle iron is. Big superheroes suck. Good morning. He takes one look at me in that suit and decides to pretend he doesn't even know me. Well, he's protecting himself. If he really did see you, it's best that he forget. It's better for you, too. I'm, I, can't, I can't tell you how many memories Dicker's had to erase over the years when someone figured out your mother's or my identity. It's one of those examples where we see uh, Violet's hair she has, I don't know, how many different variations of her hair, but it's so much a part of her character. You know, there's so much great hair work in this film. It really tells you where the character's at at that moment. And just have the opportunity to have a house coat, you know, yeah, to really yeah. sell Bob and how he's doing as a parent in this moment. That's my dad's robe. That it really it? Hard, right? <laughs> I'm like, but well, that looks familiar. And Ralph said, I put your dad's robe in there. Cause <laughs> productions on Ralph spent some time at my house about 30 years ago. <laughs> Is she having adolescence? A new report out today shows that when it comes to decision making, people have more trust in a monkey throwing darts than. This scene with Helen in the limo, this was added late. It's one of the ones where, like, we'll get to it when we get to it. And it was just like we were wrapped and we put this scene together. Brad felt it was really important to see Helen connect with the people wanting to make them supers again and make them legal again. But also, there's this moment where this little girl's like, hey, you still, you know, the little girl didn't make the sign, the mother did, but it, it gets to Helen so much, and it really drives this next scene forward, because without it, it wouldn't have as much impact. Oh, Ellen Wood. Oh, now there's a funny little Easter egg here where Devers shouts out, Ellen Wood, I'll have to call you back. Amy Ellenwood is Brad's assistant, and has been since... Well, for sure, at the least first for, At least since Incredibles, yeah. yeah. And so they've worked together for a really long time, and it was just a nice shout-out for Brad to Amy. This is where you just start falling in love with animation. I get silent because you're watching every little bit of the performance and all these little choices. Again, that grab. We're going to have a summit at sea. We'll use our and looking down here to set up the scene. It's a lot of stuff to appreciate. That's great. I'm happy. I'm happy the numbers are up. I'm happy. Another thing we did a lot on this film, on every film, is the hands. We, we have sort of a standard hand size, but oftentimes they would look too big, depending on the angle or what he's doing with them. Especially with Deborah, we ended up mm -hmm. doing a lot of variations on his hands, sizing them up and down. Yeah. Usually it was in relation to the face. Yeah, it looks fine down near his yeah. pants. And then... I love that design aesthetic. I mean, there's rules that we have to stay consistent in the world. But then when you go up to the face, you just tweak proportions a bit and make the hand small. It's a great note for CG not to accept what the computer gives you. So this is a great scene with the up-and-coming heroes. These are the heroes that idolize Mr. Incredible and Frozone, Elastigirl, you know, all the superheroes of old, and they are coming into their own at this point and discovering their own powers and what they can do. Hi, my superhero name is Void. 
This is one of my favorite new characters. I think Void is just fantastic. And Sophia Bush, man, her performance is incredible. Um, is this? And we get to see a really interesting introduction here of all of them. You get to see Electric's power. You get to see Reflux and, you know, <laughs> Brick. Um, these are really some of the funnest characters that we animated on the show because they're a little more one-dimensional, which makes them a little more caricatured, and that's always a little more fun to animate. They're the characters I hope I see at Comic-Con. I mean, oh, yeah. It'd be amazing. I want to see a Brick so bad. And see Reflux. So great. <laughs> indigestion. Yeah. Old, yeah. old man. Oh, God. Mm. I don't know that I want to see that. <laughs> I am called Rick. Nice to meet you. Speaking of size difference, in this shot where they're holding the martini, it was hilarious. But the liquid sim was a fun task to take on, trying to make sure that, you know, there was continuity, whether there were ice cubes. It was one of those fun little details that you don't really notice, but it actually adds a lot. This scene's interesting, too, because we are setting up all these characters, and we have to set them up really quickly and get their relationships really quickly, and the animators do a really good job doing that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm beat. Congratulations. Big day. Good night, ladies. I will see you tomorrow. Good night. Must be nice for you, being out front after all this time. And here's a moment where uh, Violet and um, Evelyn are pretty much kind of competitive you mean helen violent helen. that's interesting what else do you see let's get this therapy session violet's going. in her invis mode yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway uh where you get to see helen and evelyn Evelyn. But these are two really strong characters, and they have their own very strong opinions about the way the world is. And they're having a somewhat casual conversation, but there's underlying depth to it. Oh, yeah. And they have differing opinions, which they are respectfully airing with one another. It's a great example of how the animators really chose to support their different personalities in the way they're sitting. All of the posing through this scene, I think, is really strong. The performance that you get out of the scene is just so specific and so fantastic. You really get a sense of what drives these characters in this scene. And again, it's it's what they're not doing that I'm so impressed by. It's it's to stay contained and so quickly in animation, you just want to move. You want to keep the character moving and it does you mostly a disservice. If anything, if we had more time, we'd be simplifying even more. You're trying to boil down what these scenes really are about, what the, the character's feeling in that moment. Brad was talking about how, but that they could almost be friends. Like that these two women would have been friends if it wasn't for this core belief system that was differing between the two of them. It, it was supposed to come off as a very genuine moment. And I think it really does. And it makes you like these characters so much. I love how when we look at Dicker, he's already on vacation. It's yeah. like <laughs> he's already the left. Shirt and a little drink. drink. Yeah. So wiped out. The Friday night Bob's night. office here. Everything's getting unboxed. Basically, he's got his suit from the old house, which caught on fire, and it's still like in in the case. Yeah, in the case with like, smoke damage. Yeah, smoke damage on the poster back there that was yeah. in his old office that all caught on fire. And it's just great contrast between you know somebody that's moving out and somebody is just moving in. Yeah. Kid works there part time. Happy platter. 
coming into Happy Platter. This was another fun scene that we started off pretty early on, really exploring the characters and the world that they live in. Good, right? Near the cell of Denver. The table was built intentionally tight because this was going to be a robbery. And Bob would be downstairs changing Jack-Jack while the kids are left to deal with the robbers. And that changed in story, but then realizing we still are pretty tight in the tables. He's Is a there a table that he's not tight at? <laughs> well said, yeah. I mean, vegetables, kiddo. Get used to it. Good evening, everyone. I just love Dash in this scene. I know this scene on the surface is about Violet, but Dash enjoying his sister squirming like this. And if you look at him, he's like, this is the best moment in the world for him. Brad would go back again and again to his own growing up experience yeah. as a brother and that brother-sister relationship. His direction was always so spot on and very personal around that. Say hi to... Don't push it, Dad. I'm Dash, her little brother. Hello. Hmm. This really good water. It's very refreshing. Spring water, is it? I don't know, sir. I think it's tap. Well, it is very good. Excellent tap. Excuse me. Oh, nice to meet you. Where did she go? Uh, to find a good place to be angry? Tonight, we go now to a special remote interview with Girl. How you feeling, Chad? You doing all right? I'm fine. The, the doctors checked me out. I, I have no memory of the event. I got it. This scene's pretty cool. And we get into some stuff where we see New Urban, and it looks a lot different than Municiburg. There's like this acidic sort of steam coming up from the city. It feels like New York. And it's the first time that we see Screenslaver. We had a lot of back and forth early on with the design of Screenslaver. Like he was this big hulking guy and then we wanted it to be the pizza guy. And so he got thinner and then he was too thin to fight Helen. It was really kind of fun finding him and finding somebody that could tee off with Helen, but also be believable as just a regular dude. There's also some fun in the way we set up his rig for his face. You wanted to get the sense that he was talking without seeing mouth or eye expression. So you would see this light movement in his jaw just to give this idea that he's he's speaking. And while she postpones her feet, you eat chips and watch her confront problems that you are too lazy to deal with. This is the first time we were doing stretchy Helen stuff on this film. It really was putting all the animators to the test here. And I feel like what we did on the first film was very successful and some of my favorite stuff that I've animated personally. And then you see what everybody brought on this film and they just upped the ante by like 10. I mean, it's just, this animation is spectacular with her. ...to watch at a distance so that you can remain ever sheltered, ever passive ravenous consumers. Oh, a little tension on the arm right before she catapults. You can feel like, like rubber bands tightening. This was a good example of shot sculpting where JC Tran had, had done this really wonderful squirrel suit sort of flying, but to get the feeling that it was really rolling through the air, we had to do a lot of shot sculpting on top of that. Your interests are being served and your rights are being upheld. I love how theatrical everything is in the lighting and how graphic we are, how the characters in silhouette. Send your supers to stop me. Grab your Amazing art design and lighting through all this that you get to play off of. So Alan, you brought from Piper something really innovative, which was looking at lighting in context with animation. And that really changes how you're analyzing and looking at the animation. Because when we're looking at animation where everything is lit equally, you don't realize where you're supposed to be looking. And you really can end up spending a lot of time trying to nuance something that really isn't the point of the shot. 
I was just thinking the very specific discussions of how you enter a room. If you're an actor and you walk into a very brightly lit room, you kind of behave differently than a very moody, dark room where you're, you're worried that something's going on. And in this scene where Helen's sneaking in, there was a lot of discussion about her walk and the type of walk. At one point, we had all of Pixar security involved in this scene. Of like, so what would you do? What's your take? What's your style of approach? I think if what you were shut breaking? it down was when Brad was saying, oh, you know, the SWAT guys, they do this, and everybody's saying, uh, and then... Sequoia kind of shut it down and said, well, when I was a cop and I went in a room like that and like everybody in the room yeah. showed up, it's like, okay, yeah. we're going to do it as Sequoia says. Yeah, we're all listening. Yes. You're the boss. Okay. Yeah, you got it. You win. <laughs> yeah. So Sequoia Blankenship is one of the animators here and he actually used to be um, a policeman and I think it was Texas. He was like a state trooper or something like it's, that. It's always amazing when you're working with a group of artists and yeah. you find out what else they've yeah, done. It's exactly. like, well, when I was flying a plane and had to bring it down safely, yeah. like, Pardon me, excuse me. For this scene coming up in the cage, Brad kept talking about old James Bond from Russia with Love with the train scene where the fight was sloppy, nothing was perfect, everything's off a little bit, and that's what makes it feel real and dirty and ugly, and it makes it feel like a brawl. And he really wanted that in this scene. We didn't really have a layout for this. This was just like the animators pitching ideas for what this could be. Normally you board the sequence, layout gets it, which means they put in the characters and they do all the camera work and then they hand it off to animation and we do the performance inside a finalized camera setup. But in this sequence, in the cage fight, the animators were really presenting ideas to Brad in a way where they were setting up their own shots. They were cutting it themselves in presto. It was just this iterative process of taking whole blocking pass, editing it down. Brad would give notes. Layout would kind of come in and give camera notes, taking another blocking pass and editing it down. And we all would dogpile on this scene until this scene became what it is today. Well, it's very Brad to, you know, he had done that on the first film with the goo ball sequence where Bob's running where we actually just animate the scene in 3D and meaning he's going to shoot around you in the action and, and try to find what's really cool in the moment. It's a lot of work and you jump into those moments fully naive of how it's going to come out. But at the end of it, you feel like there's a, there's a grit and there's an urgency that uh, stands out. If we could have done it more, we, we certainly would have. But those animators were on that for several months. So oh, yeah. it tells you the, the work that Tim Pixton and Mikey Belanger was doing. What did I do? What did you guys do to me? That's right, punk. Blame the system. Your tracker worked like a charm, Evelyn. You're a genius. Aw, oh, shucks. I'm just the genius behind the genius. The new urban city council. Tom, do you want to talk about Bob's design, how it kind of changes as he gets more tired? You can talk about it. <laughs> try to get the bear out of the cave. Brad said we had to try to get Tony yeah. to talk. Come on, Tony. You can do it, Tony. What are we talking about? His design? Uh, yeah, I mean, we see his deterioration there. A lot of this is shading, using uh, color to make him look more and more exhausted. But we did some tweakage to his actual model as well. Punching up the bags, eye bags and stuff. His hair is kind of more disheveled. His hair is, yeah. They said it was... That's my car! This level of detail that you actually see the character model change is something that's kind of new for these characters. I mean, we definitely didn't see it in the first film. Bob really changes here. You really mm -hmm. see something you would more see like typical makeup in a live action film. 
And for character and cloth, they had wet variations and windy variations and shading on the faces, like you mentioned, Tony, to make him look more tired across all the characters. I think you mentioned earlier, yeah, Violet had three or four different hairstyles, but it organically just plays in the film. You know, we had a lot of variations on Bob's model, but we also ended up iterating on the car, even though it's not in that many scenes. But they didn't actually have like an internal LED, the ability to like animate the lights. And we really wanted some specifics about how the rockets raised. So it felt really sort of 60s mechanical and not modern day mechanical. So we just kept going in and tweaking the car model until we could get just that specific sort of animation in there too. So we noodle everything here. Everything. <laughs> Nothing... Not just the main characters. <laughs> everything. Nothing left unnoodled at Pixar. <laughs> Jack Jack has powers? Well, yeah, but... You um... knew about this? Yeah. Why didn't you tell us? I don't... We're your kids. We need to know these things. This is a fantastic bit of animation by Kevin O'Hara. He really dug deep and really connected with Bob's total frustration, total tiredness. Um, he's looking at some old, you know, older movie clips and just drawing from that. And man, he got such specificity out of this. I love the contrast of him played against the stillness of the kids, just <laughs> completely dumbfounded. And you really feel that Bob is inhabiting his skin at this point. This is a performance that is so fresh and new. Everybody lit up when we saw it in Dayton's. Incredible. We should call Lucius. No, I can handle it. There's no way I'm gonna. With the exclamation point here at the end yeah. as he falls in the pool. <laughs> yeah, that was fun getting the water level right for this. <laughs> just I so just... like Jack Jack could like slap the water level at the I end. I just love this dash going for a high five for Violet of like, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> Violet walks by missing. Uh, just a great little choice that you get to notice on the second viewing. Helen got the job. I assume she knows. Are you kidding? I can't tell her about this. Not while she's doing hero work. Girl, come on, leave the <laughs> piece of the old movie popping up. Yeah, yeah. I've got to succeed so she can succeed. So we can succeed. I get it, Bob. I get it. When was the last time you slept? Who keeps track of that? Besides, he's a baby. I can handle it. I got this handle. So you good then? You got everything under control, right? What the? Cookie, cha cha want a cookie, num num cookie, cha cha num 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 cookie, cookie, you know? cookie, oh my God. cookie. Wow, okay, okay. So, Demon Jack Jack, this is fun to talk about. This was an interesting character. You have a character that is changing shape. There's so much of a movie making. It's just about, that's super cool. We should do something like that. How do we do something like that? The character team, they were in charge with building very specific designs. It was two models, basically. There was the baby model that went halfway to demon, and then there was a demon model that went halfway to baby, and so you pop it over a frame. Nobody in the What Nobody. the? Okay. I love seeing a little detail of a superpower in a very casual mm -hmm. way, like here when Frozen makes that little ice ball for Jack-Jack. Yeah, it's creating. an everyday thing for him. Yeah. This is something that he lives with. Yeah. yeah. Makes yes. his character more real. Well, and something you do 
you give the child something to appease them so they don't start crying. And it's just a common little gesture, but then with his superpower involved. <laughs> yeah. Brad's rule of, you know, if they're at home, they'd behave that way because they're comfortable. But out in public, maybe Dash wouldn't zoom around. Yeah, this scene's really fun at night where she's at the monitor and Bob's in the car. And it's such a great callback to the first film. But you see him and he's so beat up. It's kind of the opposite in the last film where he like shows up and he's kind of cocky and he's looking for a new suit. Here he is completely demolished and then we get to see Edna. You look ghastly, Robert. I haven't been sleeping. And Edna's such a great character, of course, voiced by our fearless leader, Brad Bird. Just his performances are so crazy Crazy good and fun. I think it's probably my one of my favorite characters in the film. Oh, without a doubt. And I just love the juxtaposition of the two. Done properly, parenting is a heroic act. Done properly. I am fortunate that it has never afflicted me. He's so downtrodden, yeah. and she's so disgusted with him, and the little one-off lines about not being burdened with yeah. motherhood. Yeah. Well, I love <laughs> that she's so her. It's I love, perfect. I love that she's like lecturing him about being a parent, and she doesn't have kids of her own. Yeah. You know, she's like, I've read about it, and I know. You yeah. know, it's like that sort of thing is really funny to me. She's the expert in anything, I, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> I am not a baby person, Robert. I have no baby facilities. I am an artist. I do not involve myself in the prosaic day to day. To day. Fascinating. Are, are you seeing this, Robert? Yes. Of course you can leave the baby overnight. I'm sure filling in for Helen is challenging and you are very tired and the other children need you and miss you and you must go to them. Auntie Edna will take care of everything, so drive safely and goodbye. I enjoy our visits. Auntie Edna? Attention! Attention! I want to thank everyone that came out tonight in support of superheroes and bringing them back. This scene here with Deborah and the crowd, it was a really challenging moment because they're all holding champagne glasses <laughs> and acting and trying to respond to be unique. His reign was short, huh? The unique designs of all the background characters was really fun but also really challenging because nothing was for free. Come on up here. Don't be bashful. Yeah, the first pass at the background characters, too, they were really cool designs on them. And then you get them into the scene, and it's like, oh, my God, they're all too designy. And so it's a watering down process of just trying to make them all blend together. And that's a surprisingly hard thing to do to make a lot of characters that don't draw attention but fit in the world. We probably had like three or four passes at the background characters until we got the design right. Just now. At a worldwide summit, leaders from more than a hundred of the world's top countries have agreed to make superheroes legal again. We'll gather superheroes and leaders from all over the planet on our boat, the Ever Just, for a televised signing ceremony at sea. Now, if you'll excuse us, we got a ship to catch. Love this animation on Void. 
how awkward and I mean it's a, such a great example and a lesson of eye contact and how important eye contact is when you're not able to really look at someone very long in voice you know as far as the power dynamics and acting it's a great scene to study yeah it's kind of cool too we have well five big female characters in this movie and they're all different mm. from each other they sound different they're different people they move differently from one another mm. it's pretty cool Oh, I didn't. Oh, that looks cool. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know how that was going to turn out. Yeah. <laughs> cool how they're doing the video. This is the scene. Yeah, look at this. In the case of Bob and Violet, a lot of conversation about relaxing and delivering dialogue and not over enunciating. And when Bob looks at Violet, him looking at her is sort of this admission of guilt. If you notice, he doesn't look at her that much, and when he does, it's these admissions of guilt. Yeah, we talk a lot about, do you need that look? Do you yeah. need that gesture? Unless you have a great kind of thesis report on why that gesture is needed. <laughs> yeah. uh, why, why, why have it? I just love the status that's played in this scene yeah. where Bob is being really vulnerable with Violet, and Violet is allowing him in a little bit at a time She's really mad at him here, and it's played so well that she's just letting go a little bit of the anger as he reveals how much she's struggling, and it makes you feel for these characters so much. A good dad. The fact that Violet here touches him and so kind with him in this moment, it, I like as a parent, I really got sort of emotional while I was watching it. And then I also, you laugh because <laughs> you're so tired as a parent too, you just crash at the end of the day. There's so much being said in that scene and it's so well executed. I love scenes like that where you, you're playing with status. And tracking the energy scene to scene. Yeah. You have a lot of this film, Helen is up and Bob is down in the next scene and playing with that. The scene here with Evelyn and Helen, um, this is a great cat and mouse scene. Again, another example of really great performance where upon second viewing, you start to see... The tells. Yeah, the tells. And they are specifically put in there so that when you watch it again, you start to see that Evelyn is like, oh, she's starting to figure out what's going on here. Ease. People will trade quality for ease every time. It may be crap, but hey, it's convenient. Yeah. Kind of like this case. We as the animators knew that Evelyn's the villain, but in animating it, the animators had to be careful not to give anything away. Funny. What? Look at that. Yeah, and that's what was really fun about this is because, you know, she sees like, wait a minute, what do you what do you see? And she like genuinely inside is feeling, oh crap, she's on to me. Maybe he hacked it. So he's sophisticated enough to do that, but he has simple locks on his doors? Maybe he wanted you to find him. He wanted to get caught? He wanted you to win. That makes no sense. And she's playing this duality of being Helen's friend, but inside she's actually like, oh man, she's about to get onto me. And so I think that was really, like you're saying, is what's fun about what's going on underneath the scene trying to put in a performance and on first blush it feels like oh two friends are kind of trying to solve this thing together and on the second blush especially here in this scene where you start to see her get really concerned it's like oh no she's onto it and now you can see that she knows that she's gonna have to do something about it it was controlled by the screens built into his you are good Fire? Now, 
Yep, there's Johnny Quest on the TV. Brad obviously loves Johnny Quest. And a lot of the design kind of comes from his influences watching Johnny Quest as a kid. And so I think it's just a really nice homage for him to put into the film. I was like, is that going to make it all the I way know, through to I final know. film? I was really worried it was just going to be Tampon. Yeah. So it was really fun when it yeah. got to go all the way through. We were talking about earlier. Here are these walking towards camera shots, and they're just so difficult. Yeah. We don't want to bring attention to them. <laughs> oh, I remember on the first Incredibles, we had a scene, I think it was walking down the hall at East Place, and we all took a crack at it. I mean, well, and the juxtaposition great, between the pace of Bob with the pace of E yeah. in the same scene next to each other. We had to lengthen the hallway. Like we had the hallway, and they were walking too slow, and we kept backing them up. It's like, wait a minute, you can tell that you're backing them up. They passed that suit four <laughs> yeah. times. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Brad always talking about Jack Jack. You know, he can steal the scene. So in scenes where it's his, it's great, but it's actually a real trick for the animator to uh, not have him steal the scene and, and do something uh, that won't distract the audience. I worked in a creative fever. It's great to revisit the set too and actually put Jack-Jack in there. It's, the thing always impresses me about Brad and this world in particular. He's like, yeah, we're going to catch the baby on fire. Yeah, we're going to have the baby fight with a raccoon. Like he goes there where other people are like, you can't do that. And he's like, yeah, watch me. And it's funny and it's playful. But he goes there and that's what's so fun about it is he's not afraid to do that. Well, and I love how with Jack-Jack, you know, he's physicalizing all those things that really are happening with a baby, you yeah. know? It really feels like yeah. they're, you know, when they're throwing a temper tantrum, yeah, it's just the physicalization of that. Yeah, they're just, actual demons in yeah. your house. Yeah. yeah, teething is they pretty much like this. They feel like they turn into goo babies and slip out of your hands <laughs> or into ten babies. Yeah. It's a metaphor. involving cookies will inevitably result in the demon baby. This was a really complicated scene with all the effects in Jack-Jack whether he was on fire it means fire robert for which the suit has whether the fire was being put out it took a lot of specificity for example with the lavender foam you didn't want it to be totally cool whip and it needed to be appealing it needed to have the right texture yeah, I think the performance that you get in that moment where the fire retardant pops out and he starts munching on it happily and he's spinning around in it and we got such a big reaction to that in dailies. Like, yeah, and watching Jack-Jack go through the realization that it tastes good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the fun stuff. I mean, that's the yeah. stuff that's animation gold, you know. That interplay back and forth with effects and animation to try to really get exact right thing that felt believable and fun and would have put the fire out yeah. was a hard moment to kind of work through, but really a lot of fun. Ah, Cold Room. The sequence is called Cold Room. There was a lot of detail put into this sequence. Once we got into animation, trying to figure out this thing that was holding her down, how does it hold her, but she can stretch. Initially, she was stretching towards some door or something. We didn't know what it was. And so, you know, we made the suggestion, can she just like stretch up towards her face? And she can't even stretch that far because what she does, she'll break. I think that constraint was actually redesigned during animation. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, we were was, trying to figure uh, out how to keep her from getting to Based off the performance of what we needed, we kind of reworked that. You always want each movie to have the characters grow and have issues. This is the first time we're getting to a place where we know Elastigirl's weaknesses. Cold can hurt her. 
you're starting to chip away at what's vulnerable to the characters. Like I'm using superheroes. Who did I put in jail? Pizza delivery guy. Seemed the right height and build. He gave you a pretty good fight. I should say I gave you a pretty good fight through him. This is such a great moment where Evelyn's just putting all of the cards on the table. And the fact that she's so cocky and knowing that she controls Helen at this point is just fantastic. And there's this subtle shift in the costume so that as Evelyn exposes herself more and more as the evil character, her costuming gets more and more complex, sort of matching. Optic, yeah. Screen slavers. The screen slaver, and... yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah. I think we all really just want to dress like Evelyn. It's true. That's what my father believed when our home was broken into. The shot with Evelyn's reflection in here, starting with the back of her head, seeing her face, and then seeing Helen. From a filmmaking standpoint, it's so great to see a shot like this, where you have these multi-planes of depth, an emotional shot that's going on, and Brad's so good at stacking information like this. Is a child. It just gives the film a level of polish and a level of cinematic quality it's the things that really excite us to work on these films is because Brad has that film language at his disposal. And again, talking about the depth of character with Evelyn. Superheroes keep us weak. In that moment, she's her most angry, but not to overact it and really to hit the tragedy of her parents being killed, which is really the driving force behind all of her actions. And if you had overplayed that in the theatricality, I think we would have lost that core emotion in her. Ready? Laser eyes. Now we've got the scene where basically Bob is starting to become dad. He's gotten over the hump. He's starting to enjoy the kids. He's embracing the chaos. He's getting sleep. Yeah, he's shaved. He's, he's got a shirt tucked in. Yeah. The scene here where he's like, don't fire the baby, you know? <laughs> I think it was one of the last scenes we did on the, on the film. He's just demonstrating. No firing the baby around the house, you understand? This is potentially dangerous. <laughs> Such a fun reveal because it's like your everyday life. What are you not allowed to do with the baby? Certainly not to fire it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Use the thing. See that? That's a current readout. Click it. See the readout? Dimension four. See the shape? That's the room. See where he is in relation? So where is he? Okay, come out. Num num cookie. One of those Pixar cookies that you get in the atrium. I think that's what that cookie was modeled off of. There's a lot of discussion about this phone, <laughs> how it works. <laughs> like, does the thing flip up? Like, how does he dial? Is it just a hang up thing? Are there things underneath? There's so much annoying conversation about that. And it simply was, yeah, he flips the thing up and pretends like he's hitting buttons. You want all this movie cool in there, you know, in style and design. And somehow Frozone answers the phone immediately. He's standing right next to the phone. Yes. I got to go. I'll be home soon. Lucius will be here sooner. No firing the baby around the house, okay? What's at the ship at depth tech? And why are you in your super suit? <laughs> to say i love the design of the handles on those drawers i know i'd love to live in a, i know a right. house designed by ralph <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, ralph will you design my house design. Super suit. she may need it you never know what's going on i don't know but dad called lucius after getting a call about mom and then left i thought you renounced superhero yeah well i renounced my renunciation put that on <laughs> Jeez. 
I spent a lot of time on that head turn, just getting it just right. Yeah. Whatever that owly thing is. Creepy factor. Yeah. Fella. Oh, you kids aren't safe. The Devers sent us to take well, you. Well, isn't that redundant? The Devers just sent me here to guard the house. Can just say, I just love Frozone. Because the kids aren't safe. He's so yeah, cool. Yeah, I think he's just so cool. Definitely one of the, the characters every animator was requesting. Void. Ms. Void. Dive safely. that little reveal hiding behind her. Well, one of the backstories there is she's the reporter who was interviewing him, and now they're having oh, wine really? together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that isn't gonna hold them long. Dad, grab the baby. Spread out! This scene right here, house attack, is one of the most complicated things we did in the film, like trying to figure out everything that was going on in this scene where you leave ice, where you leave lava, how you break the window. It was like a Rubik's Cube trying to figure out how things fit together. Brad's decisions compositionally of what information you're getting as an audience and when, so you can follow it, but it also has a pace. We worked really hard to get the look of the lightning coming from Electric, a lot of 2D drawovers to set the design for that, and then effects took it over from there, and I think they really nailed it. I love the look of the lightning. Incredible! Windows down! Dive in! This was a moment in the film that got reanimated a bunch of times. How to grab Frozone and then how he was going to break out and that interplay. Like, just in terms of figuring out that choreography, that was a tough moment. I have these beats that work in story of we need this to happen, but then we also want to make it believable. You want to buy that Frozone can't be held there. And, and why wouldn't he just use his superpower? Yeah, to get... yeah, yeah. <laughs> This next scene, I feel like, is a real study in amazing animation combat. Don Crumb did a stellar job with this. Yeah. Strange how. Lighting and just how, how dramatic it is. Well, and to see Bob and Helen fight is a, you really want to know who's going to win. Obviously, Helen. Spoiled the whole thing. <laughs> Spoiler. They've seen it. But that answers the question, I guess, for all the fans. If Bob and Helen fought, who would win? Helen. It's me. In that, that scene right there of Bob getting the goggles, technically speaking, the model is a full-on sketch pass on top of the animator's work, and the animator working with Alonzo, sculptor, and embedded in animation. So that's not in any of the other shots. It's specifically for that shot. This is another one of those moments where things you don't do is have a 13-year-old drive a car. <laughs> it's just all these moments in the film that just makes it so awesome. All under someone's control. They've probably done the same to Mom. Okay, bad guys after us. No Mom, no Dad, no Lucius. But we have our powers. This car and what? There was a lot of discussion about in this scene with Jack-Jack having his, what is he calling it? 
if a fart was a astral transformation, what was <laughs> Brad calling it? <laughs> so the little details of Jack Jack and how he puts on his mask and it's not quite there. It's easy enough just to put it on properly, but to do that extra little bit of layering of a kid that age. We got Frozone. Bring him to the ship at DevTech immediately. We're starting to get into the third act conflict here. The things really start to pick up now. And uh, I guess we'll just start talking faster now. It'll be the, the, the way to get through this. And who didn't always want to have a car that turned into a boat? It was well, like my dream from forever. Yeah, it's the James Bond car from Moonraker. Which one was it? Is it the Lotus that turned the, that turned into? I had one of those when I was a kid, the, the toy. Again, a fun physics issue animation-wise to figure out the speed of this huge boat, the hydroliner, versus the speed of the car and how they respond to the water. And a fun play back and forth with effects. <laughs> fun. Uh, that's one way of putting it. Another way of putting it is we spent about three months trying to figure out how to make this, you know, 600-foot boat look like it's moving at breakneck speed. Because if you make it go too fast, then it looks like it's tiny. And if it's not going fast enough, the action's not really exciting enough. We've seen Violet's protective bubble already in the film several times. It was a really fun thing trying to figure out where we left that in the first film. Throughout the film, the idea was she's becoming stronger. Mm -hmm. She's able to do more and more. So all these background characters we have in this scene with the signing, there was a lot of back and forth on like, these characters all fit in the Incredibles world. They all look like supers, but they're not so designed that they draw the attention from the other characters around them. And Yeah, most definitely. There's 33 characters in any one of those scenes. And so when you put them in as a whole, suddenly you realize like, ooh, it is appealing character, but maybe a little too appealing. Like the potato face guy? Yeah. We had potato face guy, <laughs> basically. He looked like a potato and you would just see him in every scene. It's like, up there he is. So it's going what, Brett, here? 375 miles an hour? No, we ended up at uh, 600. Oh, even on these yeah, first scenes here? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that the boat's going a lot faster than it actually would. This is important. They are in trouble. It's up to us. To us. Understand? Love this choice just to see the hand yeah. come visible. The hand and head. Such great emphasis. Yeah. <laughs> the older sister bossing you around. Oh, that's what that shot turned out to be. Okay. That looks good. <laughs> you wouldn't know it, but this scene took, I don't know, three months, Forever. four months? Yeah. I thought it was going to be the last scene animated on yeah. the film. I love the clarity of the staging in this section of the film. There's so much action going on. There's so much to track, and Brad's so good at staging everything in a way that really reads. We went over and over and over on all these scenes to make sure the action's reading. It was really exciting to be moving at like a breakneck speed, but also you feel like kind of a guerrilla filmmaker. You're in dailies, you're trimming frames off the cuts, you're combining shots, and you're reworking the camera with the layout department. It's, it's just fun. It feels almost like an independent film in a big, giant studio. And 
the case of this film, everybody's in the same room making a film. Every department is represented and talking. And there's a chaos that's beautiful, to be honest. It's painful, it's hard, but you're solving problems as you're on set, if you will. Yeah, versus layout takes a pass, and then animation takes a pass, and then we toss it down to cloth, and then, then lighting takes a pass. We're all doing it at once. I think CG in general is moving towards this very exciting time where it's not so technically difficult that it prevents you from working with other groups. It ends up making this collage and this freeform where your scene can play because of a great effect or playing with light. So the sophistication of a director like Brad being able to play with that in animation adds to the, the filmmaking style. And the more we get to see this, the more we're gonna to start to see really unique styles of other directors. To undo a bad decision. To make sure a few extraordinarily gifted members of the world's many countries are treated fairly. To invite them once again to use their gifts to benefit the world. I thank all of you for representing your nation's commitment to superheroes. With special thanks to Ambassador Selleck. Yeah, it's okay. Let her hear you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This moment's kind of interesting. When the ambassador walks by Helen here, she looks at her and nods, and Helen does nothing, and she's like, Wait a minute, what the? <laughs> she kind of looks back and like, what's the problem? The animation had been shown in dailies and Brad, he missed it like the first time and which he never misses anything the first time, but he missed it the first time in the second viewing. He's like, did she just look back at her? And he's yeah. like this big laugh, which is really, really fun. And there's a baby on fire. Didn't know you could uh, catch a baby on fire in a Pixar film, but As long there it as is. you can put him out. Yeah, as long as you can put him out. <laughs> We're good. And it's under his control. Yes. Part of the struggle of having Jack-Jack on fire was showing that the fire was coming from him being angry and that he wasn't in pain and he wasn't being hurt. And as long as we could show that it was under his control, then we could get away with him being on fire. Is it okay to get on big baby i mean that model got turned around pretty quickly like within a month or something and then there's a ton of sculpting on top of it to make it work <laughs> in this shot coming up where jack jack goes to the wall we had a lot of discussion about how to get this to read initially it was like a static shot where it was just held and then brad wanted to kind of reveal it so we panned up and then we had to go back before we went in and there's ended up being this really complicated shot to get these layers of jack jack being revealed as he's shrinking and going through these walls and it never actually really worked until even the lighting was in yeah. because that was part of the reveal yep. so it really needed the fog and the lighting before it just yeah. really clicked you know in the end it's like you look at it, it's like oh it's a simple shot it just kind of works yeah <laughs> Go on phase two. Years of mandated hiding and silence have made us bitter. You bring a lot of the film happens on the screens in the film too, which you know it's just another <laughs> yeah. little layer of complexity. Yeah, how much extra animation did your team do? Twelve minutes or something? something just like that. just in TV screens? <laughs> yeah, well, picture in picture, like twelve minutes of pips. I wanted a T-shirt that just was missing Pip. <laughs> <laughs> well, we um 
some very alarming moments there <laughs> before the uh, technical difficulties. Please bear with us. have forcibly taken the bridge. It was really interesting jumping from Chad being hypnotized to then our main heroes being hypnotized. Physically, they had to be doing a lot, but we had to know that it was Evelyn driving them. And that they weren't attacking the people on the ship or their own children of their own will. And then again, when Jack-Jack gets the glasses off of Helen, to be able to very quickly see her come back into herself. You know, there's so many of these beats that are happening on top of one another. We're just trying to make sure that they read really clearly. So when Helen pulls off Frozone's mask, and she tackles Bob, and then Bob rips her shirt. We're trying to make sure each one of these beats that happen on top of one another happens in a very clear way that the audience can read. Kids, what are you, what? You came for us? Don't be mad. Oh, sweetie. How could I be mad? I'm proud. A lot of pep talks from Brad to the crew in this point of the film where we're trying to hit those beats, as Dave said, and be really clear and quick. And if you could trim frames, trim frames to keep the intensity up. Where's the crew? Oh. Did I do that? Mom, the suit. Try this. Phase three. Go on phase three! kids here. You didn't go to the house. I went to the house. You didn't escape. How did you not escape? Hey, we just escaped you. Escape? Escape from home. So this fight here was incredibly complex. There were so many aspects to look at all at the same time, and it really took a lot of delegation. Now, talk later. What's interesting about some of the best directors is the more experienced and the more talented they are, the more they leave the responsibility up to the artists. You kind of have to because there's so much complexity going on. There's effects on top of animation, on top of other effects. Look at this scene. <laughs> it's insane. There's like lava and there's a force field and frost. We were just on top of each other and he had to kind of trust us to figure it out. And our jobs as leads were to trust the artists that we're supporting. It's really like going back to school for everyone and continually learning, you know, Brad's amazing stories of his life experience. Yeah, you suddenly realize you're not a part of an industry or part of a craft, and this is an artist sharing information that was passed down to him. It makes you appreciative that someone like Brad takes time for that. Come with me, Winston. What's interesting about this third act too is there's a lot of parallel actions. Where are the diplomats? The, the super. You're tracking what's going on with Devery. What have you done? You're tracking what's going on with the supers. Evelyn. You're tracking what's going on with the kids. Well, go after her. 
Finish your mission. There's a lot of things going on at once. And as the scenes come into our department in animation, we're working with only part of the information at times. Oh, Helen and Evelyn are fighting on the jet here, but we don't have what's cutting back and forth. Where's the crusher guy? Strap in now. We're trying as much as possible to review this work in context, but it's not always possible. And so you have to rely heavily on Brad, knowing how all this stuff is going to cut back and forth to build this tension. He does this a lot in his films. That sense of parallel action where multiple things are building at the same time gives you this feeling of excitement. But as animators, I mean, that's tough to work with when you don't know <laughs> what's, what's cutting from one thing to the next because, you know, some of it's still being written. We're too late! Get me up to the jet! This stuff that we're looking at here with her going through all these portals is so complicated to get this stuff to read and to cut from one shot to the next. And we were moving portals. It was just an ongoing conversation. There was never anything locked down until it worked. We could be in Digital Dailies, which is our final process in the film, and it's like, you know what? That still isn't working. We still need to fix it. I mean, <laughs> hopefully you don't do it there because it's too expensive. But we were doing it kind of late in the game, and it was it was fun. They get into the engine. Oh, forget it. We don't have enough time. What if I say to untouch someone? What do you do? Welcome aboard, Elastigirl. Although we haven't yet reached our cruising altitude. There's a lot of discussion on the plane here, and when you pull back on the yoke, how quickly can the plane go up? And we're really trying to pay attention to the physics of that. Well, there's opportunity there, I think, uh, a lesser director to speed up a lot of these scenes. Yeah. Uh, the plane turns, it's, it's not a lot of story information. Why not play that twice as fast? But I believe wholeheartedly that you care for these characters because Brad took the time to show that plane and feel the pull on the yoke and the intensity of the situation versus kind of skipping over it, making a cartoony, which is our biggest worry. This scene is a great example where Violet's taking the time to talk to Bob. Brad takes a moment in the middle of an action scene to have an emotional beat where you can really stop for a second and reconnect with the characters and what they're going through and the real emotion behind that. I know this is going to work, but if it doesn't and we crash, my shields are probably better protection than the ship. I should stay here with Jack-Jack. That's my girl. Yeah, in the end, it's a film about family, which is why we all gravitate towards working on it. We had a lot of discussions about hypoxia here and how it works. Um, <laughs> and it what does, it is yeah, and how to spell it. And it does work really quickly. Within seconds, you can get hypoxia if there's not enough oxygen in the compartment. It's oxygen and air pressure, too, right? Both of those yeah, things. I don't know if I fully passed this class, to be honest. <laughs> um, and I still don't know how to spell it. There's so much learning that goes into a film. Yeah. At a certain point, you just have these experts who are like, yeah, just check check in with that You're person. You're like, is that a real thing? They, they yeah, know how to fly. How does it work? Well, you know, within seconds, you can hypoxia. For Wh sure, Wikipedia someone said. who knows. Oh, yes. <laughs> I am going to the rudder. Once I turn the ship, you hit the pull-up button. Okay, now. Now lower me down. <laughs> So you get this kind of euphoric, drunk sort of feel when, I guess, the air pressure drops really suddenly and there's not enough oxygen in the air. You start to feel like you're intoxicated. Not even a little smidgy-widgy. Ah, hypoxia. When you don't have enough oxygen, things seem really silly. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> 
And it's such an interesting scene for Helen to be so close to Evelyn and be able to take her out, but she she's so close, but she's so far away. And it's so frustrating on so many levels that she just can't get it together to take her out. And then right at the last moment, she pulls herself together to do it. So now the oxygen's come back, she gets her wits about her. favorite scenes in the whole film. It always made us laugh. Oh, every Fun time. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how often if a scene doesn't work in daily scene, be sure it won't work in the theaters, but if tired yeah. animators in the morning get a laugh, you're in good shape. Brad would always talk about this, that you, know, you get excited about an idea and it gets a laugh and then a month later, no one's laughing anymore. Yeah. And you can get in that pitfall of yes. changing the idea. Is this still funny? <laughs> yeah, it was funny the first 10 times you saw it. It's still funny. You just have seen it a hundred times. He always trusted that first laugh and we're going to stay with it. We know it works. Go on. So as you get closer to the city here, you can really see how fast they're going. I mean, 600 and some miles an hour. But when you're out on the open ocean, it's hard to tell without anything around for context how fast it's going. We actually went in and threw in extra little boats yeah. that the hydroliner would be passing just yeah. to give you that context. I didn't know that Frozone was this powerful, but man, he is super powerful. Look at that. Love it. just stealing the show here. Love it. Yeah. It's awesome. And this was real hand-holding between animation and effects. I mean, it was one department, really, to get this effect to work. Like this last shot here, for example, had no snow in it, but Brad was wanting the focus to really be on Helen. But we have all the characters in the scene, so it's either cut to a close-up or they had a great idea to get some snow in there and help us draw our eyes. That was your idea, place. wasn't it? I think it's, it's everybody's <laughs> idea. Their idea. It was your idea. The fact that you saved me doesn't make you right. But it does make you alive. And I'm grateful for that. Holland's hair here is a little messed up. We had a version where it was like totally crazy. It's like, okay, that's a bit much. Let's get her back on model. You may not notice on first go around, but Jack-Jack is imitating Dever and what he's doing. And I love that because around that age, babies imitate everything they see. How is Dever just walking away from this? I, I think he should be <laughs> pulled in. Cops should be on him. I wanted him to do his car keys. Uh... And just lock his boat since he just left it in the middle of the city. <laughs> oh, but if you really jerk look, parking award. Tommy, the driver's back there waiting for him. That's right, so that's right. Just drives him away. <laughs> and in recognition of the extraordinary service they have demonstrated. I love this judge. I want to go over to his house and yeah. like have some tea. have dinner or something. Yeah. Got good, yeah. You got a good chance with that judge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, I wasn't speeding that much. <laughs> you don't know me, do you? No, I don't. Wait. Are you the girl with the water? I'm Violet Park. 
I'm toning. The choice not to have crowds, Brett. It's a strong choice. These it's characters. a Saturday. This after detention. Yeah. That's the Incredibles' old house. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. you know, for story reasons, they had a different house at one point. It's beautiful inside. <laughs> Trust us. This scene kind of wraps up the level of detail, just the way that everybody is interacting with one another, the, the amount of touching that's happening between them, just the details of the car, like they're just bouncing around through the road and it really makes you feel like they're there. They're real characters, you believe in them, you've been on this this journey with them. I just love that attention to details that the animators put into our films and the level of appeal that they get is just it's fantastic. They have other things to do. So you guys are close, I guess. Yeah. I guess. We can get closer. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Bob's look. Such a dad moment. Hey, does that say A113? It does. I love how when you first saw this scene, Dave, you were like, wait, why the crowd looks like they're afraid? I'm like, yeah, well, a shootout just (laughs) happened in front of them. (laughs) I was like looking at the the shot raw and there's like the cops and robbers went in there. I'm like, are those people freaking out in the background? Brett's like, yeah, because there's robbers. I was like, oh yeah, you're right. Success. Thanks for bringing that up, Brett. That's awesome. Anytime, anytime. (laughs) His credits look great. Yeah. Andy Jimenez. Well, shout out here to Andy Jimenez who did an awesome job on the opening titles and the credits so brad bird was the director yeah we'll and um john walker and uh nicole paris grindle were the producers <laughs> the worst that's the worst commentary ever worst commentary yeah. well, what can we say how do you we wrap a, this up we had a great quick time on this film the, so you guys ready for incredibles 3 uh, every decade we want to be is there Incredibles for every decade so yeah, we, by 2020 we have to have another Incredibles ready you have to gain a certain amount of experience to jump back on a Brad Bird movie so <laughs> yeah. we, we have a lot of homework to do yeah. to, to crunch to get ready for the next one and all these names are like a yearbook the guilt now sets in of all the people we should have mentioned trust us when we say these people are so important you could put a different collection of names here and you'd have a different result Movies are always this experience of a group of folks that get together and make something, and they're bringing something unique. Well, you said something pretty cool at the Anim Rap Party, which was, you know, you only get so many of these films. And to be able to do it with you guys and do it with this team at this studio, it's a special thing. Yeah. If you're going to put it in your scrapbook of your life, this is a great one to have. Couldn't agree more. It's like when you're a kid, you watch a film and you can't imagine being a part of it. It's always the point in the credits when you're in the theater going, how does this even happen? How did you get to be a part of something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And so many people on this film were like, I grew up watching, you know, it makes you feel old, but I grew up watching The Incredibles. <laughs> I promised myself I'm going to work on The Incredibles one day. And they were just pouring everything they had into it, like just their hearts and souls. It made a great experience. Yeah, we're like the few people at the end of the film when you go to the theater that are just uh-huh. staring at the credits and <laughs> yeah, yeah. not getting up. I know and, that person. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know half, that person. Half the time, it's my Great mom. Great job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mom will stay for the credits, and then when so my name comes mine. up, she goes, that's my boy. <laughs> that's David Mullins. His name's David Harless the Mullins II, and that's my son. Suddenly, she turned into an old, an old Jewish grandmother. Yeah, yeah. But she, she'll wear the T-shirt, and then she stands up before the movie, and she says, my son, David Mullins, worked on this film. It's a very important role in this film. <laughs> and like everybody in Winchester, Virginia knows that- uh, That you worked yeah, on Yeah, that I film. worked on whatever film yeah. I did. <laughs> yeah, well, we wanna thank you for listening to us ramble on about animation, the making of Incredibles 2. 
Thanks for indulging us. I know. We've had fun. <laughs> we had an amazing time. I'd say for you animation students, if we were to give you one bit of advice, we'd say it's never easy. But uh, if you keep at it, give it all your heart and work your butt off, you can get there. We'll see you on Incredibles 3 and you can school us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll try to keep up with you all. Brett, give us the last Kari. we got to hear a little Kari. Yeah. It's just a little Kari. We're sitting here with Kari. In case you didn't know, Brett Parker is the voice of Kari, the babysitter in the first Incredibles. How does Kari feel about yeah. uh, the experience of Incredibles 2? Well, let's see here. <laughs> Kari doesn't worry about one single thing. She just takes things as they come. <laughs> I can't top that. It's so good. Where will you see her next? Well, so is she going to have a big part in Incredibles 3? What do you yeah. think? It's Jakari show. She can just do all the interviews from now on out. <laughs> okay, we're going to redo this whole commentary. Yeah, yeah. With, of just you Kari have to do it in, in Kari's voice. Through it from her <laughs> perspective. What's well, what's... I think this scene is really wrong because Kari's not in it. <laughs> she belongs right there, babysitting. Yeah. And she's very prepared. <laughs> she has CDs and certificates. Uh, Our very serious job we <laughs> get back to. <laughs>
close to me. Stop. 